Well, good morning. We're back. Yeah, we're back, and um, welcome to all of you and to our KFUO listening audience. And we're going to begin our study of Romans once again. We are at chapter 11. Chapter 11. All right. Chapter 11 is very much based on chapter 9 and 10. And the issue in chapter 9 and 10 was that Paul was explaining to us how uh, God's Word is still effective in both both Jews and Gentiles. But he's also introducing the fact that many of the Jews rejected the message of Christ. So Paul then begins chapter 11 with an important question. I ask then, has God rejected his people? That is, the Jews. Has God rejected his people? By no means. All right? So the fact that they heard the message of the gospel and rejected is not God's fault. It is their own sin that moved them to reject the word. It was not God's will. God did not want them to reject it. He wanted them to believe it. But they did. So this raises many more questions, and of course, one of the questions that we have to deal with is, is there then some kind of predestination by God that some will reject and some believe? The answer is no. It is God's will that they all believe. It is their own sinful nature that brings them to reject. Uh, So Paul says, For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? how he appeals to God against Israel. The fact that God knew they would reject is not God predestining them to hell. Different things. He knew, but he did not take action to make it happen. It was their own sinful nature 
that brought this about. Now, Paul is going to use an example here from the Old Testament, Elijah. In chapters 18 and 19 of of 1 Kings. The story is, if you will remember, Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest on the top of the mountain. And they would have all day to pray to their God, and Elijah would pray to God, and whoever sent fire from heaven was the true God. And of course, the prophets of Baal built their altar and they danced and they prayed and it says they cut themselves too. Nothing happened. Elijah was uh, going to play this for all he had. He built his altar and then he dumped water all over it just to make it tougher. Okay? Prayed one time and the entire altar was consumed. Elijah comes down from that mountain and Jezebel, and they kill all the prophets of Baal. Jezebel, the queen, threatens to kill Elijah. Elijah has just seen the fire of God come down on this altar, consume everything. But when Jezebel threatens him, Elijah is afraid, and he flees. And I won't go into all the details, but he fled from northern Israel all the way to the wilderness of Sinai, to Mount Horeb. That's about at least 300-mile walk. And so God, that's when God, he doesn't come in the, in the wind and he doesn't come in the earthquake. He comes in the still small voice. And I think this is one of the great stories in the Bible because Elijah's just walked 300 miles in the desert And God's first words to him are, go back. Okay? Go back. But the story is about the fact that Elijah thought he was the only true believer left in Israel. That's what Paul is going to use here. Elijah told God, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. He thinks he's the only one left, and he's on his own. What does the Lord respond? But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the kneel 
need to bail. Okay? Elijah thought he was the only one in Israel, but God says there are 7,000 men in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal. They have not worshipped Baal. Now Paul adds this. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now everything Paul's said up to now would easily lead people to believe that the Jewish nation as a whole has rejected Christ. Paul says, not true. Just like Elijah, there are many Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They've been chosen by grace. Well, all of us are chosen by grace. There is a remnant. You can trace the word remnant throughout the Old Testament. And it is a a very uh, important concept because when you think uh, uh, the world has snuffed out the faith, there's always a remnant. Okay, verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Okay? It's not by works, and that's what Paul is continuing to emphasize the Jews had sought their own righteousness by works, by keeping the law, when God's righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Okay. So, then verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. What it was seeking with was righteousness before God. They failed to receive it, uh, and we're told that back up in chapter 9, verses 31 and 32. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was based on works. Okay? So, Paul is saying, it's not the word of God, the gospel that failed, It's the people failed because they were seeking righteousness on their own. On their own. They were seeking earnestly. They did not hear the message of the gospel, the word of God, but were working in the opposite direction. Something God did not want. And therefore, as it says, 
they failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, what does it mean, the rest are hardened? Okay. The chosen are by grace. God wants everybody chosen by grace. He wants them to come to faith in Christ. The rest that is being talked about were not chosen for damnation before the foundation of the world, but they were hardened because of their own unbelief. They sought their own kind of righteousness by works. That's what the hardness is. By grace, not by works. Because grace is not irresistible. God can offer you all his mercies, all his grace, and you can reject it. So the problem here is not God saying, you have to go to hell. It's the people saying, God, we don't believe in the righteousness you have provided. We don't believe in the righteousness you have provided. Some pushed God away. Okay? Some pushed God away and sought their own unrighteousness. So that's what he's saying. Now, there are then two Old Testament quotes. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. That's from Deuteronomy. Okay? And what it's saying is this. God parted the Red Sea and they crossed. God parted the Jordan River and they crossed. God gave them manna from heaven. God gave them meat to eat. God gave them water from a rock. Just what do you want? What's going to make you believe? And so it simply says they refuse to believe. And what it's actually talking about here is this stupor is a spirit of callousness. That in the face of all this, they were still callous unbelievers. It could also be referred to as spiritual insensibility. They just missed the boat. And God's response to unbelief, let's go back to Pharaoh. Remember, Moses came to Pharaoh 
And they began, he began to do the plagues. And at first, it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he gave Pharaoh time and time and time and chance after chance to believe. And finally, God had had enough. And then the phrase changes to, and God hardened Pharaoh. It was a process. That's what it's saying here. The people of Israel saw all these things. Finally, God had had enough. Finally, God had had enough. He gave him this spirit of stupor, callousness. The second one uh, is from Psalms. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Now, what's the table? We think it's the law. It's the law that was a snare and a trap for them because they thought they could keep it. They thought they could keep it. But now here's the big question. Here's the one we have to deal with. Okay? They sought righteousness. It was their own refusal. Uh, ears meant to hear and believe replot, replaced by ears that do not hear. Is it permanent? That's the question. Has God turned on them permanently? No more chances. Well, we'll get to that. That's the big question. But I want to draw in another parallel right now. That's just fun. Okay? I want to talk about for the moment how this parallels one of the teachings of Jesus. And I want to go back to the parable of the prodigal son. We all know that parable. But I want to look and think about specifically the end of the parable. And I want you to think that maybe that younger son who squandered everything and then repented and came home are the Gentiles. And the older son who got mad when dad threw the younger son a party and was upset and jealous are the Jews. It makes a lot of sense. And how, what was God's plan? To get the Jews back by jealousy. So they cannot see, 
Their backs are bent, but is it permanent? I want you to look then at verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Uh, In the Greek, it would be great to translate the word stumble as trip. Trip. If you trip, do you always fall? No. Is there tripping in order that they might fall? Or is there failure to believe in Jesus Christ so they might go to hell? That's predestination. It was planned for them to fall stumble so that they would fall and have no chance of eternal life. And what does Paul say to that question? By no means. That was not the will of God. God did not plan before the foundation of the world that the Jews would reject Jesus Christ and they would go to hell. He proclaimed the gospel to all, but he knew they would reject. God can work even our sin into his plan. Did he will it? No, but it happened. And so, through their unbelief, he made the Gentiles jealous the Jews jealous so that he could save some. You see, you can always count on human sin to screw something up. Just plan on it. And so God planned on it. And he turned it into something positive. Man will never let you down if you plan on him sinning. Never let you down. So they tripped, but they did not fall. There would still be a chance. The plan of God was to make them jealous. Okay? so that some would come to faith. Okay? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So God used their trespass to bring the message to the Gentiles. Now, the fact that the Gentiles were going to hear the message of the gospel is all over the Old Testament, if you look for it. It doesn't usually say Gentiles, it says nations. It shall go to the nations. Um, Nations, the word for nations and the word for Gentiles 
are the same in Hebrew and Greek. Okay? Same word. Um, let me read for you what we consider. We, we've all heard of the Great Commission. Okay? The Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations. I want to read you what is considered the Great Commission of the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah 49, verse 6. Okay? And it's talking about the sending of the Messiah for the Jews. And then in verse 6 it says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Too light a thing. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's the great commission of the Old Testament. It's there. And it's there in many other places that God's plan was always to save the Gentiles. Okay? So, all right, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? First of all, what are the riches? The riches are the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ and all the blessings he brought, those are the riches. That's them. Riches for the world, riches for the Gentiles. Okay? Now, his plan then, what does this full inclusion mean? It means the full number of the Jews that would come to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, we got some issues with this that we're going to have to deal with later in the chapter. We probably won't get to them today. Uh, it's, a, it's a question we can't answer. Okay. But the full inclusion is those that would come to faith in Jesus Christ. So some of the Jews, through the jealousy, are going to hear the message of the gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Therefore, okay, that's the plan of God. That's what God has determined. Their trespass means riches for the world, riches for the Gentiles. How much more will be accomplished when Jews come to faith in Christ too? Through God's plan. Through God's plan. All right, let me stop there. Any questions? I've been going pretty fast. 
but it's kind of a whole ball. You can't just take one verse. Uh, it's kind of the whole thing. So now he wants to talk to the Gentiles. Verse 13, now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So God's word is given to all. There are those that refuse to believe in Israel. God's reaction to Israel's rejection is to make them jealous. And thus, the Gentiles are included. And verse 14, all right, verse 14 says, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews, the actual Greek there is flesh. In other words, they're his flesh and blood. He is Jewish of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. They're his own flesh and blood. And the word there to make is actually to provoke, to provoke them to jealousy. Stick the grizzly bear in the eye with a sharp stick and run. Okay? Try to provoke them to jealousy so they will come to faith. So some will be saved. Okay? So that's, that's what Paul is doing, and that's what he did throughout his ministry. He always preached to the Jews first, and when they rejected, he went to the Gentiles. The pattern is clear throughout the New Testament. Verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Okay. So rejection is the loss that you incur by not believing in the Messiah and trusting in their own righteousness. These are the one Paul hopes to save. But I want to take at this... Uh, I want to look at this, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? The acceptance may not mean here that the Jews accepted Jesus Christ. It may mean that God accepted them. that God accepted them. So instead of reading reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? In other words, their believing in Christ. What about 
what if their acceptance by God means life from the dead? Yeah, it can read either way in the Greek. It's a toss-up. It could be their acceptance of the word, or it could be God's acceptance of them. So, we being good Lutherans would always go for God accepting them. Okay? But it is up for grabs. What its meaning is, those Jews that come to faith in Jesus Christ are going to receive eternal life. That's what it's meaning. Either way, that's what it means. Which means that Paul has now gotten rid of the argument that their falling away, their stumbling was permanent. It is not. It is not permanent for any person in this world. As long as you're in this world, you can still believe in Jesus Christ. The word can still come to you. And you say, how do you know that, thief on the cross? The word can still, there is still possibility of salvation as long as you are in this world. And so, that's why we react the way we do against the teaching of predestination. That some were predestined to be saved and some to predestined to be damned, it flies full in the face of so many passages in Scripture. Um, and it blames God for people going to hell. That's what it does. Blames God. It's God's fault. When, in fact, it's man's sinful rejection that is the problem. All right. Everybody with me? If not, just hold on. Okay, 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, Paul is getting ready to give his great illustration of the, the vine and being grafted into the olive vine. So what he's saying here is this. The dough is first fruits. Okay? The first fruits are equal to the root. So let me put it like this The first fruits and the root are the patriarchs. Remember how we talked about that a long time ago? that the picture of the tree was that the root was the patriarchs, the promises of God made to the patriarchs. The lump and the branches are the Jewish people. 
they sprout from the root. They're not on their own. And if you separate them from the root, they die. So, he's saying the root is good. The promises of God made to the patriarchs are good, and they apply to all, everybody. And then we start the branches and the vine. Now, um, this is imagery that's used throughout the Old Testament. It is everywhere. And of course, it is used in John 15, where Jesus gives the illustration of vine and branches. But let's look at 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, now the root's good. The root's the promises to the patriarch. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, that's the Gentiles, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root. Okay, so the Jews were broken off. Gentiles were grafted in. It's still the same root to the nourishing root of the olive tree. Because the word of God is the nourishment we all need. Then what does it say? Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. In other words, now he's speaking to the Gentiles. Don't get cocky. Don't get arrogant that God broke these Jews off so you could be in, as if you're something special. You're not. You're not anything special. The fact is, if you get cocky, then you remember this. The root supports you, not you the root. The important thing is not you. The important thing is God. Okay? Whenever we start thinking that we're special and we're doing all these things and, and we're, we're, you know, better than others, this reminds us that's not so. We're only there by the grace of God. Okay? So then he says, then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Okay? See, I'm so special, they were broken off so I could get in. What does Paul answer to that? That is true. They were broken off because of what? It says it right here. Their unbelief. They were not broken off because God predestined them to hell. 
They were broken off. Okay? That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Okay? The only reason that you are grafted in it because of faith. They were broken off in unbelief. You were grafted in through faith. But then he says, So do not become proud, but fear. Okay? Don't be run around boasting that you're special. Instead, in fear, recognize that God has given you such great grace and you do not want to fall away from the faith. And verse 21 is the final one. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare In other words, if God was willing to break off the natural branches because of unbelief, if you fall into unbelief, don't think for a moment you won't be broken off. This also speaks against predestination. Okay? So... um, There is no room, just because the Jews initially rejected, there is no room for the Gentiles to be proud or haughty or lorded over the Jews because uh, they still have the opportunity to come to faith in Christ. And you can't say, once saved, always saved. We've talked about that. You know, people, some people, some churches believe in that, that once you're saved, you can't fall away. This is saying you can. This is saying you can. Grace is not irresistible. And it's not once saved, always saved. Okay? And this is warning us about that kind of attitude. Um, uh, it's another important thing right here when we, and when we discuss that is, is when it says that you stand fast through faith. The verb tense there is a perfect tense. And what a perfect tense always means is an act that happened in the past still has implications today. An act that's happened in the past still has implications today. So it's actually should be translated, you have stood and remain standing in faith. It's continuous. You have stood and you remain standing in or by faith. Okay? Um, All right. Questions?
Yes, Mark? Some to each. He has chosen before the foundation of the world who would go to heaven and who would go to hell, and it's an unalterable decision by God, okay? which flies full in the face of the passage, God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the will of God. No, no. Uh, that's the thing about, um, if you look at the New Testament as a whole, there are no third categories. You are a believer or you are not. And there's no middle like almost there or going the wrong way. You're a believer or you're not. There is no third category. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Double predestination is what I'm talking about. We believe in predestination. The Lutheran Church believes in predestination. Yeah. Um, the Lutheran Church believes this, that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God is going to seek to keep you in that faith through word and sacrament. And if you do not turn to unbelief on your own, when you get to heaven and you're there, you can say, I was predestined. Predestination is only for the saved, and it's a doctrine of assurance. It's to assure you you're going to heaven because of all the promises of God. But there is nowhere where it talks about being predestined to hell. It's only predestined to heaven. And the word is used in the scriptures, but it's used, and I dealt with that, but it's been a long time. We'll talk about that some more, okay? But you're sitting there today, you're in Bible class, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're hearing the word, receiving the sacrament, you know you have eternal life, you can say, I'm predestined to eternal life. Yes. That still works. Yeah, there are many that you can believe, fall into unbelief, and then if you come back to faith, you're good. Yeah. Peter. That's right. That's correct. We do not stay in the faith by our own uh, effort. It is because God continues to come to us through the word and sacrament. This is we get into the more the vine and the branches. If you're a branch and you're broken off from the vine, you die. It is through the vine that you receive what you need to, to remain a strong branch and bear fruit. Who is the vine? Jesus Christ.
I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes. Efficacy of prayer. Okay. The question is, talk about efficacy of prayer for unbelievers. Um, We are told to pray for them. But it's not your prayer that's going to make them a believer. It's the Word of God. So when you pray for the unbeliever, pray that they will hear the Word and their hearts will be changed. Hear the Word. God, I believe, hears and answers those prayers. But the person can still hear the word and reject. That's the thing. You can pray, the word of God can come to them, and they still reject. Still reject. But it's not our prayer that changes their heart. It's the word of God. Yes? No, they... They can decide to reject, but God's not going to force them to believe. He doesn't force anybody to believe. But they can make the decision to reject. Yeah. All right, we better quit. We'll pick up here next week. Uh, and continue, and uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.